see you all here today. And really, this is, for me, this is sort of like the kickoff of Christmas. And we have our Christmas service tonight at 5.30. And I have to say that Christmas, of course, is probably uh, not just one of my favorite times of year, but I'm, I'm assuming it's probably one of your favorite times of year as well. And really, just because of of what it represents. I mean, it represents a, a time of family, of course, a time of, of fruitcake, uh, a time of being with people that we love, and of course, a time of celebrating Jesus. Now, um, I'm, not a, I'm not a big soccer fan, but this past, I guess this past summer, there was the World Cup. Now, I don't know how many of you actually watched the World Cup, but I decided I wanted to pay a little bit of attention to it because it is the, from what they say, it's hard to imagine, but what they say it is the world's most watched event, most popular sporting event that there is. Uh, over a billion people watch the World Cup. And so I decided I'm going to watch a little bit of the finals. And if you watched it, you know it was between uh, Germany and Argentina. And, of course, in the soccer match, Germany ended up winning. I know that y'all were devastated by that. Uh, but Germany ended up winning. And after they won, uh, they received this trophy. Now, y'all know what the World Cup trophy looks like? Um, I, I didn't, and I saw it. I was like, that's a pretty cool trophy. It's got like this big gold base, and it's, I don't know if it's like a world, the world globe, or if it's a soccer ball. I have no idea, but it's a neat trophy. It's made out of 18-karat gold, and that trophy is worth over $10 million. Okay, now, I think trophies are cool, but that one, that, I'd, I'd like to win that trophy. Now, here's the deal with that trophy. Even though Germany won the match and they won that trophy, they couldn't take it with them. Uh, and the reason why is because two different times that trophy has been stolen and never returned. And so whenever a team now wins that trophy, they just simply get a replica of the World Cup trophy. Now, as I thought about that, I think that's, I thought, yeah, that's what many people end up doing in life. Well, we end up doing is we we work so hard and we strive so hard for something that is just simply a replica of the real thing and you know we try to we try to fill our lives with joy and with hope and in material things and in popularity and having the right kind of house and having the education and all of those things and it's not that there's anything wrong with those things in and of themselves but guys those things are just simply a replica of God, what God wants to give you you see, we seek so many times after things that are temporary when God says, I want to provide for you with something that's eternal. And that's why, that's why Christmas is something that is so powerful and so hopeful for us. It's because it is a time when God tangibly gave us a gift that would last for an eternity. Now, the people that were the first to receive this gift, of course, were the Hebrew people. And they were to be changed by this gift of Jesus. Later on, the Apostle Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 9, he said, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? He said, Run in such a way that you may obtain it. You know, not get a replica, but that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Now the Bible is letting us know that as we are living in this life, the things that this world offers us are just temporary. You know, they are fading. I mean, you can, 
and I, and I say this in my own personal experience, you know, the older I get, the more I am realizing more and more stuff fades, right? I mean, so if you've been living for a while, you know that, you know that your, your body is beginning to fade. Now, some of us are doing, are doing okay, but that's because for those of you who are doing okay, it's because you're in your 20s. Let me tell you something. It's going to all change, and I hope I get to see it change for some of you. And so anyway, it just becomes different. Life is fading. But God and the promises that he gives are things that last for an eternity and that have value. And so today in our passage of Scripture, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verse number 1, and we're going to see that God gave an incredible message of hope to a man named John. They call him John the Baptist. And he received this message of hope to share with the people who are really in a hopeless situation. They're struggling. And as I look at the people that John was talking to in our text today, I see a lot of similarities between the people he was talking to and to, to people like us to this day. Because I really believe that people are searching and looking for something in life that they can hang on to that's going to be an anchor for their lives. And yet many times the things we're grabbing onto, they just begin to, you know, sort of like an anchor that is dragging in the sand. And John says, ah, but there is a hope that is firmly rooted that you can hang on to for the rest of your life. And so we'll look in Matthew chapter 3 in just a few moments. Uh, just a little bit of background information. Uh, it, if you read in the Old Testament, you'll see that there's mention of prophets all throughout the Old Testament. And these prophets, what would happen is they would receive a word from God, and then they would share the message to the people. And so it was a way for the people to know what, what God had to say to them. It was a way for the people to know how God wanted them to live. And so, you know, that worked well for a while, but after a period of time, they quit listening to God. You know, it'd go in one ear and out the other. Okay, God, we heard what you said, but we're going to do what we want to do anyway. And it got to a point where God said, you know what, I'm, if, if that's what you want to do, then have at it. If you don't want to hear from me anymore, then I'm not going to speak to you anymore. And so when we get to the book of Matthew, it has been 400 years since God has spoken through the prophets to his people. 400 years. And it wasn't working out very well for the people who hadn't been listening to God. And so finally, they're in a place where they're desperate. You know, they're under Roman rule now. They've lost their freedom. You know, they've been worshiping other gods, and they're beginning to realize, hey, this is not good. It's not changing any, anything about us. And they are calling out for God to speak to them again. And God does. And he does it to this guy named John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist had been prophesied about hundreds of years before by a prophet named Isaiah. And he said, before the Messiah comes, this guy, John the Baptist, is going to come, and he's going to speak to you. Here's what, here's what it says. It says, a vo he'll be a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. That's about John the Baptist. And it's in this message, and the message that John the Baptist has, that he brings hope to people. Guys, we are in need of hope today. That's why Christmas is such a great time of year. It is a message of hope. And John shared with them some reasons why they could have hope again. And that's the same thing for us. We see through his message that we too can have hope in this life. Now, now what are some reasons that I see from our text today about why we can have hope? And it's very simple. It begins off with this. 
One of the first reasons why we can have hope is for this, because the king is coming. You know, the one reason why followers of God can have hope in this life is because we've been promised that the king is going to come. Now, it was an immediate, immediate fulfillment for the people being written to, but it's also a fulfillment for us in the future because we have a promise that Jesus is going to come back again. Now, I want you to look with me in the first three verses in chapter 3. It says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one spoken up to the prophet Isaiah, and this is speaking of John the Baptist, who said, A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. Now when John came, he, he just preached a real simple message. And if you look in the first couple of verses, when John preached, what did he tell the people that they were to do? Anybody want to just venture a guess? He said, what? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. That's his message. Now, you might say, well, what exactly does repent mean? Now, repent has a couple of real simple meanings. One, it means to make a 180-degree turn. You know, if I'm heading this direction and I repent, I turn around and I go the other direction. Uh, What it's talking about is it's talking about that you have a change of mind so much that you act differently. Now, there's a difference between repentance and remorse. Y'all know that? You know, I, I hear people say, well, I'm really remorseful for that. Yeah, there's a difference between remor- being remorseful or being sorry for something and being repentant. M- most of the time when people are remorseful, what it means is, man, I hate I got caught. Uh, man, I hate that I, that I did that, but I don't hate it bad enough that I'm going to be different. Now, if you are a, if you are a parent, then you, you know what that experience is like, right? I mean, have you ever had your kids? They say, man, I am sorry for that, but then they kind of keep on doing it. That is not repentance. And sometimes we think we can beat repentance into them, okay? And it does, hasn't worked for me yet. So if you all have a secret, let me know. But that's, that's remorse. Repentance means, for me, that I see that I'm moving in this direction, but I want to go in a different direction. Now, the people weren't repentant yet. And what the people were doing is they were just simply living for themselves. And God's hand of blessing moved away from his people. Now, what were they doing? Well, they, they wanted to be like everybody else around them. So we don't want to be different. We want to have our own kings. We don't want to follow God. We want to worship other gods. We want to sacrifice just like the other nations do so that we'll kind of fit in with them. And I see similarities with us today. You know, some of us say, well, I don't want to, I don't want to stand out from the crowd. I want to do what everybody else is doing. I want to have the same kind of freedoms that other people have. And so God, after a while, will say, well, have at it. And then what happens? It doesn't work out as well as we think it will. Because it doesn't satisfy. It's not fulfilling. And we end up empty and we end up in a place of hopelessness. And so that's why John, in his message, he tells the people to repent. Why? He said, because the kingdom of heaven is near. That's great church language. The kingdom of, if I walked up to some guy at the gas station and said, hey man, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. He's going to think, what is this guy talking about? You know, what, what does that mean, the kingdom of heaven is near? Well, for John, what he's talking about is he's talking about the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he's bringing hope. It was, a, it was an immediate fulfillment for them. Because as you read on later in this chapter, just right around the corner, Jesus comes around the corner and he asks John, he says, I want you to baptize me. So when he said, the kingdom of heaven is near, the Messiah is near, 
I mean, it was getting ready to happen. Now, why did he tell them this? Why did he tell them to repent? Because he wanted them to be ready when the Messiah came. And guys, whenever we have Christmas, why are, why are we celebrating Christmas? And why is it important for us to remember that there needs to be a time of repentance? Because the king's coming. You know, if you know, if you know somebody important is coming to your house, let's say that, you know, I don't know, let's say that um, uh, the, the queen of England, I don't know why, but let's say the queen of England you know, passes through Blythewood, and she's going to show up at your house right after the service is over. What are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, you're going to be freaking out for one, but you're going to hop in your car, and you're going to fly home, and you're going to get everything straightened up. And if you've been there for a little bit, maybe you're going to get out of your sweats, you're going to put on your nice clothes, you're going to try to make the house smell nice with the dogs in the backyard, tell your kids to act like people they're really not, because you want to impress the queen, right? You want her to feel welcome. Well, that's what John is doing right here. He's saying the king is coming. And I want you to be prepared for when he shows up. And so that's why he said to repent. Because he said if you're not prepared, you're going to miss him. And you're going to miss out on the blessings that he brings. Now, I've used this story before, but I like it. It's, a, it's about a wealthy man who's going on vacation. And he's going to be on an extended leave. And so he told one of his contractors, he said, I want you to build a house. And he said, I don't want to spare any expense. He said, Bill, if you have any problem with money, you, you tell me and I'll wire it to you. And so the guy begins to build. He's worked for the man for a long time. And he thought about it. It's like, you know what? Is he sending me this extra money? He goes, I could cut some corners and keep some of this extra cash for myself. Now, the house looked good, but he, but he was cutting corners using cheap material. And so by the time he finishes, the guy, the wealthy man, comes back and he looks at the house. He goes, man, it looks great. He goes, you've been such a, a faithful servant to me and you've worked so hard for me. He said, the house is yours. I want you to have it. Now, guys, there, there are many of us who are using inferior materials in this life, not realizing that in this life we are building for the next one. And the question is, what, what kind of materials are you using as you are building in this life, knowing that there is another one that's coming? See, Jesus wants us to build our lives upon his foundation. Jesus said in Luke 19.20, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And we live in a lost world. And our only hope, that's Jesus. Our only hope is one who offers life forever. So why do we have hope? Why can't we have hope in this life? Why can't we have hope this Christmas? Well, the first one is because the king is coming. Now, he's already come a couple thousand years ago. Guys, we have a promise in Scripture that he will come again. The king's coming. There's hope for us. But another reason why we can have hope during this season is because of this. It's the king's grace is available. The king's grace is available. It's available to you. In verse number, verse number 5, it says, Then people from Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the vicinity of the Jordan were flocking to him. It's talking about John the Baptist. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. Now, if you go down to verse number 9, it says, and this is John speaking to the people. He said, don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. And he's speaking to Jewish people here. He says, we have Abraham as our fathers. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from the stones. Even now the axe is ready to strike the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. You say, what does all this stuff mean? Well, the Jewish people had a, they had a special connection with God. 
Um, I'm sure that many of you have heard this before. The Jewish people, they are called the, the, the chosen ones, right? Have you all heard that before? They are, they are a special people because they've been chosen by God. They've been set apart especially by God. And this came from Genesis chapter 12 in verses 2 and 3. God, God spoke to this man named Abraham. He said, out of you, I'm going to make a great people. In verses 2 and 3, it says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now that is some heady stuff. Can, can you imagine? If, if Just put yourself in Abraham's shoes. If God came to you and said, for instance, Scott, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Wouldn't you think that's cool? I, I would. If he came to me and said, Eric, I'm going to make a great nation, I'm going to think, I'm going to have a nation that will come out of me. I mean, that's heady stuff. Thinking, that, don't mess with me, folks, because God's on my side, and we are going, my people, my children, and their children, we're going to become as numerous as the, as the sand on the beach. It's going to be unbelievable. Now, the people, they took it to heart. Now, they were a cho- they are a chosen people. But here's the deal. They got to a place where they thought it's just an exclusive club and they could live like they wanted to. Read the Old Testament. And how did God respond to that? God told us that, listen, sin is devastating. And it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how often you go to church. Guys, when there is sin in your life, it disrupts your fellowship with God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. That's why John the Baptist, when he preached over and over again, he says, you must repent. Because if you don't, you'll be separated from God. Now, we all sin, so that's bad news. Here's the good news. When the king came, he brought grace. And you know who grace is for? For everybody. God's grace has been extended to all people. It's not just for a certain few. It's not just for people who, you know, sing in the band or people who work with the kids, although I think they're probably closer to heaven than anybody else. Grace is for all people. That's why Jesus said in John 3, 16, he said, Whosoever believes in me shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's whosoever. If you look in Titus 2, 11, it tells us, For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for, it says, all people. Uh, we're told in John 5:24 by Jesus, I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now, isn't that, isn't that incredible? Now, the unfortunate thing, there's a lot of us who think it's an exclusive club, that only really nice people get to be a part of this club. Only really nice people get tickets to heaven. That's unbiblical. That's not what Scripture teaches us. It tells us that God's invitation of grace for all people, everybody. Uh, there's a couple pastors that were from up north, and they were traveling to a convention down in Atlanta. And so when they got down there, they went to bed, and they got the next morning, and they went to eat breakfast. And so when they went to breakfast, they ordered, you know, bacon and eggs. And so they're sitting there talking. The waitress comes out, and she brings them a plate of bacon and eggs. And when they're when they're uh, looking at it, the guy, one of the guys notices there's just like white mushy stuff that's next to his eggs, and he has no idea what it is. And so he calls the waitress over, and he says, um, what is this stuff? And she said, it's, it's grits. And he said, well, I, I didn't order grits, 
and he said, I'm, and I'm not going to pay for them. And she looked at him, she kind of smiled, and she said, sir, when you come here, she said, you don't order them, and you don't pay for them, you just get them. That is God's grace. In God's grace, you don't order it, you sure as heck don't pay for it. But when you follow Jesus, you get it. Now, now why is there hope as we celebrate Christmas? Well, the king's coming. The king's grace is available to you. And then here's the last one. Another reason for hope is because the king can transform your life. Jesus came to change people. In verse 7 it says, When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to the place of his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore produce fruit that is consistent with repentance. Now as John the Baptist was baptized, there's a lot of people that came. They came to the river. John's being very, he's become very popular. And as he's doing so, the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they show up. Now they're not showing up to say, we want to participate. They're showing up because they don't like John. And they want to see what's going on. And they don't like him because what's happening is he's becoming popular, which means they're not as popular. He's becoming powerful, which means that they are losing some of their power. And, and their whole intention was not about touching the lives of people. It was about for them, how do I keep my power? And so when John saw them, what does he call them? He says, you brood of vipers. Now that is not a term of endearment. When he called them a brood of vipers, what he was telling them, and he says, what you are teaching, it is poisonous to this people. What are they teaching them? They're teaching them, if, if you want to be connected with God, they said, we have all these rules and regulations you're supposed to follow. And if you don't do it, then, then you're out of luck. You know, you're not one of us. Now, we know that whenever you go back to the book of Exodus, God gave Moses some famous commandments. Y'all remember, remember how many of them there are? How many? Ten. Good job. Ten of them. Ten commandments. The Pharisees came up with an extra 600 plus rules and regulations to follow on top of the Ten Commandments. Okay, I don't know about y'all, I'm struggling with keeping ten. They chunk on another 600 plus commandments, I'm really struggling. Okay, now what happened is the people, because of this, they felt defeated. They said, there's, there's no grace in this. There's no way that I can, I can be changed by God if i got to keep all these rules and regulations that's why john said it doesn't come come about by by you know who you are what you do what who you're related to he said you, you trust god and turn from your ways and rely upon him and he says and then god will change you that's why verse number eight says produce fruit that is consistent with repentance it means when you repent your actions the way you live naturally change okay if i repent and i turn to god and say god i'm yours how does, how does God change me? Galatians 5, and 23 tells us. It says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, we don't naturally, I am naturally not a person like that. that none, none of those things are in my nature, and they're not yours either. Our nature is to be against the things of God, to live for self. Uh, that's why we're told in Ephesians 2, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. Speaking to Christians here, 
It says, previously, before you knew God, he said, you were dead in your sin. And he said, and according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. He said, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires. And he goes on and on, but then he gets to the, the great but. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, he has made us alive with the Messiah. Even though we were dead in trespasses, he says, you are saved by grace. When God touches you, he changes you. What's Christmas important? Because when Jesus came, he broke the chain of misery. He broke the chain of us trying to earn the good favor of God. Because, guys, we can't do it. He said, I'm bringing with me grace. Let me try to explain it like this. Let's say, let's say that you have a bad heart. Now, if you have a bad heart, let's say the only way you can live is to have a heart transplant. And they give you a new heart. Is that new heart, is it going to change your life? Yeah. It's, it's going to keep you alive. It's going to increase your stamina. It's going to increase your circulation. It's going to do all kinds of things for you. Now, there's no way that you can receive a new heart and yet remain and live life just like you did when you had the old heart. The new heart's going to make you different. The same thing's true spiritually. When you turn yourself to God and surrender yourself to Him, He changes you and gives you a new life. You can't remain, you cannot be touched by Jesus and stay the same. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, and behold, the new things have come. 2,000 years ago, hope came here in a little town of Bethlehem. Jesus showed up, and he brought hope with him. Now, what is the hope that he brought with him? He brought change with him. So the king is coming. And when he came, he brought grace with him. And that grace is available to all people. And what does that grace do? It will transform and change people. Now, my challenge for you, my hope for me as well, is that we will place our hope and our trust in Jesus because he will be the safest bet you ever make. A couple of facts about Jesus. Jesus is the most written about person in all of history. More people follow after this Jesus who was born in a stable than any other person in the world. And this Jesus has changed more lives than any other group or faith in the world. The question is, would you place your faith in him today? The question is, are you seeking after, like in the World Cup, are you just seeking after a replica? Or do you want the real thing? Do you want life to be changed? Do you want life to be different? It will only happen through the Jesus who came here to give himself, to give his life for you and me that we might be reconciled to God. 